Well, good. It's nice weather we've been having for a couple of days. I don't think it's going to stay, but it was nice to have it for a while, wasn't it? Well, here we go. Number 13. Y'all ready? Got your syllabus? Okay, we're ready. You can turn to page 87. <clears throat> now, we have a lot of ground to cover today, okay? So we're going to kind of move through this and get it to you. Make notes, whatever you need to do. If you, if you don't catch all of it, grab, get these CDs. The CDs and DVDs are available uh, and will be available right after the service tonight. And so if you want those, you can talk to Kevin about it. He'll be glad to help you out on it. But you need to get this. And so today we're going we're gonna to start with page 87, section 13. <clears throat> the difference between an old covenant ministry and a new covenant ministry. Now, we've, we've been hitting a lot of the sacred cows. We've been talking a lot of the different things and pretty much I've been saying, you've heard it, you know, you, you've heard this said before, but now I say to you, that's kind of the way it is and then we read the Bible to you. So we've been hitting a lot of the sacred cows and just killing some of these things so you can say, okay, maybe what I've been taught about healing hadn't been that accurate. You know, maybe I've, we've missed a few things. Well, the, um, that being the case, we have to realize that when it comes to healing, healing in the atonement, physical healing in Jesus' redemptive act of atonement, his hanging on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection, that is the most important point or fact concerning healing, Amen. right? And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on today. We already have it on, the, on CD over there. I taught it in the church a while back. But you need to see... Healing in the atonement is the most important fact concerning healing. What I'm going to talk about this morning, first off, the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant ministry or Old Covenant mindset, New Covenant mindset, is the most important one point in Christianity that you will ever get after the new birth and being filled with the Spirit. All right? It's just that simple because quite literally it changes everything. Everything. I mean, it's, it is amazing. Uh, a lot of this, as a matter of fact, when we're talking about the, the New Covenant mindset, <clears throat> if we had indefinite time and you weren't here just for a seminar and then had to go back somewhere else, then at, when I started teaching this, I would teach this section to you today. And as soon as we finished this one section, then I would pick up, I, I would go over and grab the uh, new man teaching that we did. <coughs> And then I would teach you the new man, which is another, you know, 20 sessions, okay? And then when we finished the new man, then I would come back in here and pick back up in the manual and go on. Because what you have to realize is that <clears throat> this, the, the new creation, Paul said in, in Galatians, uh, what was uh, 6.15, I think it was, he said, <clears throat> nothing matters, nothing counts except the new man. Mm. That's what he said, right? Well, well, maybe you need to see that. That's okay. <clears throat> not, not sure I got you convinced on that one, so... Matter of fact, I, well, yeah, it's in the front of the manual, too. <coughs> yep, Galatians 6.15. If you look in your Bible there, you can look in the front of the manual, either one. It's on page two of the manual if you just want to see it there. But if you want to see it in your own Bible, I can't tell you what page number that is. So, <coughs> but in Galatians chapter 6, verse, verse, verse 15. It's 1899. 1899. He, he gave us the page number. There we go. All right. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. Galatians 6.15 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. You get that? <clears throat> Nothing matters. And when he referred to circumcision, he was talking about being 
under the law, being born into the kingdom of, of God according to the earthly kingdom at that point. And so we're looking at this, but in Christ, neither circumcision, being in the law, under the law, doesn't matter, out of the law, doesn't matter, none of that matters. All that matters is, are you born again? Right? That's all he was saying. Are you a new creation? Now, if you are a new creation, then you should learn how to walk as a new creation. A new creation can't walk as an old creation. Amen. Right? So, <clears throat> most, of what, most of how the church operates today is as an old covenant mindset. They still have the idea. Now, they wouldn't say it. I mean, they, they have all the right phrases, but it's the practice that changes. Right? Because we... we we, we still act Old Testament. We still think, well, God's out there somewhere, and we've got to find out what he's doing or what he wants to do. We've we got to go inquire of the Lord just like they did, and let's go find a prophet that can give us the word of the Lord that is not New Testament. Now, listen, I'm not saying that there aren't prophets in the New Testament. There are. There are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and they are given for the equipping of the saints so the saints can do the ministry, right? Amen. So the saints can go out and change this world. Now, <clears throat> we have to see this. That this vast difference between Old and New Testament ministry, it just literally changes everything. And the difference you can mainly see, if you want to look at it, let me give you this uh, way to look at things. If you take the Gospels, most people in the church today will tell you, if you want to get healed, go in the Gospels, find a sick person that you can identify with, and do what they did. How did they get healed? Well, they went to Jesus, and I remember I was at a camp meeting one time, and somebody, a very well-known person, was teaching, you know, and they, they talked about how these uh, two blind men sat by the wayside crying out. Whenever, when they heard Jesus come by, they started crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And they started crying out and crying out. And, and they, this person took that one scripture and kept saying it. And he kept saying, this is how they got healed. This is how you get healed. You have to cry out to Jesus, and you have to get him. You have to get his attention. And you have to get healed by, and if you get his attention, he will come to you and heal you. And, and literally, he spent about 45 minutes saying that, just that little bit, over and over again until somebody in the audience caught what he was saying and started crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And pretty soon somebody else did it. And within about two minutes, you had about 20,000 people all yelling the same thing for about an hour and a half. Right? And, and that's what he was trying to do. I mean, you know, I'm not making fun of that. That's how they understood it. And he was trying to get them to call out to God so that Jesus would take notice and heal them. And unfortunately, that's not the way New Testament people get healed. Right? Now, that, that worked for these Old Testament people. But you have to realize, you know, it's funny. We talk about B.C. and A.D., and they try to go back and, and they try to number the years from the date of Christ's birth. And they kind of mess that up whenever they look at the calendar. And actually, it's probably about five years. Jesus was probably born between 4 and 5 B.C., which doesn't make sense that he was born before Christ. I, I don't get that. But anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, and then they change the calendar around and all that kind of stuff and kind of mess things up. Personally, it is... It is a documented historical fact of when Jesus was crucified. Okay, that's easily proven. And since that's when he came out of the grave, and that's whenever the, where the New Testament began, the New Covenant, that's whenever this whole new era started. Really, that's probably where we should date from. 
It should be dated from that. It'd be much easier to do, and it wouldn't have been changed around. But since I can't change that, then we'll leave it as it is. Okay, so I am working on a chronological Bible. Matter of fact, that's what I was doing back in my office before this morning, is we're putting all of the books in the Bible in their chronological order and going through those. And it's amazing how you can see the progressive revelation of God when you look at it that way. So uh, it's, it's pretty neat. Plus, and now... <clears throat> the difference between Old and old New Covenant. Now, what happens usually is whenever any person uh, starts to read, especially the Gospels, you can almost always tell their level of spiritual development because if they are fairly immature or undeveloped or a baby in Christ, so to speak, then they will look at the Gospels and generally they will find somebody in there that came to Jesus for healing, especially if they need healing, and they will find this person, and then they will try to do what that person did because they identify with that person. And they try to do what that person did to get healed. Now, that's, that's very baby level, okay? Yeah, that's being a carnal Christian, that's being a baby Christian, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> then if they have de developed any spiritually, then, well, I should say quite a bit spiritually as opposed to where things are today, they may identify with the apostles or the disciples of Jesus. They may say, well, okay, I'm not that person. I'm this person. I'm a follower of Jesus, which is different than this person. So they will identify with the disciples. But you have to realize neither the people that came to Jesus nor the disciples had what you have. Mm -hmm. Right? Jesus had not yet been crucified. They operated under Jesus' authority basically under delegated authority in his name. But they were, not, they were not born again. They did not have the Spirit dwelling in them as we do. Jesus even made that point. He said, the Spirit is with you, and he shall be in you. Okay? And the reason Jesus had to leave was so he could send his Spirit back, so he could dwell in us. Now, <clears throat> so even if you're probably the most developed spiritually of most people, you still identify with the disciples even though they didn't have what you have. The only person in the Gospels that had what you have that you can identify with is Jesus. Do you get that? Yes. You can't identify with anybody else. You can't identify with Nicodemus. Not if you're born again, right? Now, if you're not born again, yeah, you can identify with pretty much anybody there. But if you're born again, you cannot identify with Nicodemus. You can't identify with anybody. You can't identify with the woman with the issue of blood. You can't identify with the blind men. Even if you're sick, you can't identify with those people because even though they had what they had, they did not have what you have today. And just as Jesus talked about Abraham and said, Abraham longed to see my day and saw it, then we could say the exact same thing about them. They longed to see our day, and many of them didn't see it. That's why they had to go get help, right? The help of God was limited to be located wherever Jesus was at that point, for the, for the most part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so with us, it's different. We are born again. The spirit that was in Jesus dwells in us. So we have to, if we're going to identify with anybody, we have to identify with Jesus himself, right? So instead of looking at being the person coming to get healed, we have to see ourselves as the people to whom the people are coming to be healed by. Right? That's, you have to make that change. Now, most Christians, I'll be honest with you, they never make that, that jump. They never make that change. They live their whole life <clears throat> living Old Testament mindset of begging God, trying to get Him to do something, 
trying to live good enough, trying to live up to the law, very honestly, trying to live good enough so that God will bless them. And almost every action we do in a church goes back to that mindset. And that's, that's one of the reasons why JGM has made such the impact in the earth as it has is because we don't operate from that old covenant mindset. We operate from a new covenant mindset. As a matter of fact, even to the point, because this cannot just be an idea. It can't even be a doctrine. It has to be part of your DNA, right? It has to be how you think. It has to totally uh, saturate you, permeate you, uh, even to the point where, very honestly, uh, you know, we started the fellowship here, but at the same time, we really don't have a worship team. We've, we've got all the instruments. We're ready, you know. We just don't have a worship team, mainly because we don't have the songs that are New Covenant. Almost all the worship songs that are out there are Old Covenant. Almost every one of them, Oh God, please come. God, rain down upon us. God, we're thirsty. Please fill us. Um, you know, Oh God, send your Holy Spirit. All those, none of those are biblical for us. Okay? Those are all Old Testament songs. They are all looking forward to God doing something. And the New Testament, as I said the other day, is 99% past tense. It's already been done, and it's up to us to believe it's done, and then to be able to walk in that action. Now, most people, and you'll start to see it, most people operate Old Testament. Then they start trying to move over to New Testament, and then they have this blend, which... The bad part is, even under the Old Testament, if you have faith towards God, you'll get some stuff. You know, it'll kind of hit and miss every now and then. And then you go in the New Testament, and I'm telling you, it's consistent. But it's moving from the Old Testament mindset to the New Testament, and usually there's a crossover. And unfortunately, at that crossover, what you used to do won't work anymore. And what you're learning, because you still have some of the old in it, sometimes doesn't work either. So there's this time period, time period right here that you just got to push on through. You got you to go from here past this into this as quick as you can get there. You don't want to stay here in the middle ground. You know, it's one of the things they say. Whenever you sit in the middle of the road, you get hit by traffic going both ways. All right. So you don't want to do that. Okay. <laughs> so that's not where you want to be. Amen. You, you want to make sure that you go from one side to the other as quickly as possible. So that's the whole, the whole purpose. Now, if you look at what we're teaching here, it's funny because if I, if I drew a diagram on this dry erase boards here behind me, I could draw a hub, and then I could draw spokes coming out, and I could draw the wheel around it. That hub, okay, well, let me, let me go from the outside. This, when you see this outside, this is the complete truth of the gospel of the Word of God. Now, after that major hub, if you're going to move inward and you're going to find the spokes, healing, this DHT would be one spoke, okay? Spiritual warfare would be another spoke, but they're all connected and they apply, but they all go back to this center hub, which is vital, Amen. which is the new creation, Hallelujah. right? That is, you have to realize everything Paul taught was the new creation, Every, every time a church had a problem and they wrote to him and said, we got this problem, he'd say, okay, fix this, do that. You know, kick this person out till they repent, till they repent, let them back in. You know, I mean, there's discipline there, right? And he said, do this, do that. And he said, now, but, but the real problem, the heart of your problem is that you don't understand this new creation. Every time he went back to the new creation. And you have to realize that's all Paul taught for somewhere between 30 to 60 years that he was alive. Right? And when you look at that, probably closer to 35 to 40 years, he taught the new creation everywhere he went. 
and told them and, and made the break from Judaism, which a lot, and it's funny because you look at denominations around the world, and most of them are just different degrees of Christian Judaism. Right? Now, and probably the most Judaistic practices you can see in a church is Catholicism. Yeah. Right? They're probably the closest to Old Testament Judaism in their practices. Right? And then there's kind of the whole range in between. But we have to realize we are a new creation. We are different than we were before. Amen? And the practice, now listen, God, as to his nature, does not change. But his dealings with man does change, not because he changes, but because he changed man. You get that? God, and under the old covenant, God had to deal with man the way that a holy, just God had to deal with a fallen being. But in the New Testament, God gets to deal with man the way he always wanted to, but wasn't allowed to based on his holiness and justice. Right? Do you get that? This is vital. Now, and the difference is what he did in us. So now we're going to look at this. So look at a couple of scriptures there. There is, uh, in, in the very first part, a new covenant. There is a new covenant, which means that the old covenant has been replaced. Do you get that? It's been replaced. Amen. Abraham wanted to live in Jesus' day. And I give you the scriptures. And we've actually already read some of these. But he said in John 8, 51, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that you have a devil. Abraham is dead. And the prophets, And you say, If a man keep my saying, you shall never taste of death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? And Jesus answered, if, you, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar just like you. Yeah, that's pretty blunt, don't you think? <clears throat> but I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Right? That's pretty blunt. Yes. Now notice, <clears throat> the next one there says a new and better covenant. This is what we've got to get a hold of. Listen, it's not a blended covenant. It's a new and better covenant. Now let's read it. Hebrews 8, 6. It says, But now hath he, Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry. Now if you go back and look at this, the whole book of Hebrews basically is contrasting the old covenant with the new, old covenant ministry with new covenant ministry, the ministry of Moses and uh, with, with the ministry of Jesus, and showing how much better we have it today than they had it then, right? Listen, for whatever reason, we, we've got, I don't know why we've done this, but we, we wouldn't say it, but we act as if it's true. It's almost like God gave us a worse covenant. That's the way people act. And they act like we don't have it as good as even, even the, the Jews had it under the first covenant. You look at what they said. Look at Deuteronomy. Look at what they said. God said, if you, in Moses, he said through Moses, he said, if you keep my commandments, wherever you go, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed going in, blessed coming out. You'll be blessed. Your fields are blessed. Your crops are blessed. Your children are blessed. Your, everything you put your hand to will be blessed. And he said, whatever you put your hand to, I will bless. 
And yet on the New Covenant, now New Covenant Christians, we think we got to find out what to do, when to do it, how to do it, where should we go, don't go there, go here. And if we get, we got to find where God is blessing and go there. Even the Jews had it better than that. Wherever they went, they were blessed. They knew that God was with them and would bless them wherever. I mean, if we would just, it's amazing. Like I said, if you don't get into the new covenant and you try to live under the old covenant, neither will work for you. And actually, that's what's happened. We're not even living up to par to the old covenant. Because even under the old covenant, they were blessed coming and going, blessed all their field, blessed all their cattle. And yet, look at us. We were about, oh, I'm, I got a generational curse. I'm cursed. Okay, even a false prophet Balaam who was a, a, he was a, he was a prophet out for profit. All right. Well, we have a few of those in church today anyway, but still, but he was a false prophet. He wasn't even a godly prophet. And yet, whenever they came to him, they said, we want, we see these Israelites coming and we know that, you know, they're God's with them and we want, we want you to curse them so we can beat them. And even he was smart enough to say, how can I curse whom God has blessed? And yet you got Christians that Empty the bookshelves every time a new book on how to break generational curses come out. How can you be cursed if God has blessed you? Do you understand that? Yes. See, and, and you say, well, but, you know, I just don't know if I'm blessed. I don't know if God has. I'm waiting. I'm trying to get God to bless me. Well, you're too late. He said in Ephesians 1.3, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And see, we go right back now to what, the very first thing we started teaching is the authority of God's Word. You've got to believe that Word's for you. You've got to believe that for you. Until you believe it's for you, it won't work for you. Mm -hmm. So you have to decide, I am blessed. And if I'm blessed, I can't be cursed. Amen. You get that? Mm -hmm. So if something comes against me, it's not a curse. It's a devil for me to say, oh, no, you don't. Yes. Right? And be able to put your foot down and say, no, you're not touching my kids. Mm -hmm. You're not touching my cars. You're not touching my animals. You're not touching my house. You go somewhere else. But you can't touch my stuff because I am blessed of God, right? I mean, even under the old covenant, whenever, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, what the terminology you want to use, but God told, or yeah, God told Moses, he said, I want to make sure that you know that by this time, all the Israelites are inside the house, and I want you to make sure you take that lamb's blood and you put it over the doorpost because there's going to come something through this city tonight you don't want to be out from under the blood. Isn't that right? Amen. And whenever this destroyer came through, as it says, when it came through the, through the Egyptian kingdom, they had to have that blood over that doorpost, and wherever that doorpost didn't have blood on it, the firstborn in that family died. Right? Now, what protected them? What made them different? The blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And even the problem. Now imagine the, the blood of the lamb, of, a, of an animal, over a doorpost protected the lives of the whole family. Not just one person in there believing. The whole family. And now we have this new covenant. And we have the blood of not uh, of an animal, but the blood of the lamb of God himself. The one that that was a type and shadow of. And, and this thing is supposed to protect us. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and are safe. And we don't believe that. And that's an Old Testament scripture. And we don't even believe that. We think, well, and Jesus said, nothing shall by any means hurt you. What do we say? Oh, everything comes around. I got to be, oh no, I'm, I'm cursed. It's going to get me. I'm going to be afraid. Come on. This word is either true or it's not. You know, if it's not true, trash it and go back to living however you were before you claim to be born again. But if it's true, believe it. And if it's true, stand by it and just decide. It doesn't touch my stuff. 
You don't touch me. You don't touch my stuff. You don't touch my family. You don't touch my kids. Right? And, and if I loan something or give something to somebody, you don't touch it either because it belonged to me. Mm-hmm. You get that? That's right. You have to decide where you stand in the spirit realm. We are new covenant, new creations. Listen, I'm going to say something here. Some people may think it's contra- controversial, but I, I can prove it. When God made Adam, Adam was the highest creation. It was the crowning point of God's creation. Adam was. Is that right? He made all the earth, all that stuff. It's amazing. He made the nest before he put the Adam in it. Isn't that right? And so he made all this other stuff basically for Adam and then told Adam, you have dominion over everything. And in Psalm 8, he says, you made man to have dominion over all the works of your hands. Mm -hmm. He put man in that position. That was a position. Now notice, the man was, even as it says in, in Psalm 8, just slightly, it, well, it says made slightly for a short time below the angels. That's just because the King James translators didn't have any guts. Mm-hmm. Um. The word angel there is, a, is the Hebrew word Elohim, and it's plural, I mean even lower than God himself. Slightly lower for a time. Now get that. Man was the high, man is as close to God as God could make him. Do you get that? In that, he was in that position, and he was overseer. And, you know, we'd say he's the underseer, overseer of the earth. In other words, he oversees the earth as the underseer under God. Right? That, that is the chain of command, and you've got to get hold of this. In the back of your manual, it even has the, the diagram there, but you've got to realize there is no spiritual being above you other than God himself. Wow. You get that? Even the angels are sent to minister to you. Mm-hmm. Right? They are your servants. They serve God, but they serve God by serving you. They do their job. They will be judged as to how well they did their job for you. Amen. Do you hear that? Mm. So, and like I always say, everything above you, you bow your knee to. Everything below you, you put your foot on. Do you get it? That's right. As we said before, when a child of God speaks, heaven hears and agrees, hell hears and obeys. But you have to decide that that is you. Right? Before it starts to work for you. Now, <clears throat> so God made man in this position. And then man fell and placed himself under the authority of Satan at that point. And then Jesus came in and put man back to the position he should have been in all along. Okay? Now, here notice Hebrews 8, 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. You hear that? A better covenant with better promises. Now, when did the new covenant start? Okay, let's look at it. And the, every time we see in the New Testament where Jesus talks about this New Testament, this new covenant, it's always at the Lord's Supper, right? Now, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He preached, this is what it's going to be like in the kingdom. You live in the kingdom, this is what it's like. But it wasn't yet. He was preaching it, but the kingdom wasn't yet. And he said, it's at hand, and we're showing you what it's like, but hang on, because it's coming. Then he says, and if you look, every time it mentions the, the uh, New Testament, it, in all three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's always mentioned during the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is always mentioned two chapters from the end. Okay, so in Matthew 28, if you want to know where the Lord's Supper is, all you have to do is count back two chapters and look at Matthew 26. There it is, right? In Mark, it's the same thing. Mark has 16 chapters. If you want to know where it's at, you count back two. That'd be Mark 14, and there it is. 
Same thing with Luke. Luke has 24 chapters. You go back two chapters, Luke 22, you'll find the Lord's Supper every time. It's an easy way to remember where it's at. Just go to the back of the book and go two chapters forward or back, depending on how you look at it. So, Matthew 26, he says in verse 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now notice he's talking about physical bread being his body, okay? And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Then you look at Mark 14, verse 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Luke twenty-two nineteen. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. In my blood. You get that? Now his blood was not shed yet. So this was a preemptive teaching. <coughs> they didn't even understand what was going on, really. <clears throat> but we know that technically the New Testament started, we would even say, at the whipping post, when his blood was first, well, actually, it's in the garden, technically. But when he started to shed the blood, even from sweat, and, and uh, as, as it said, that he, the drops of blood fell from him like sweat anyway, so that he started this loss of blood in the garden, then took it to the whipping post, then took it to the cross, then went to the grave, and then came back. So all this had to be done beforehand so that he could explain to them what was going on. Okay? So technically, the New Testament started in the garden, but started this night. He began it whenever he started with the, with the Lord's Supper. That was the initiation of it. But, and for the next roughly, well, depending on if you want to count from the time he was crucified until he came out of the grave, we're looking at a three-day period. That was a three-day transition time. Okay? So technically, that's when the New Testament started. The New Testament did not start in Matthew 1.1 or when Jesus was born. Right? He was operating as an old covenant prophet. He operated as a prophet under God, and he operated with all the, as we would even say, limitations of a man walking with God, which honestly, with a man walking with God, all things are possible, so the limitations are all there, okay? But it said in Philippians that he emptied himself of basically what made him God or his abilities as God. He did not operate as God, okay? He operated with the same stuff we have, okay? Then we got born again, and now we can operate with what he had. You got that? Yeah. Now, so when did the New Testament start? Right here at the end. That means that all the things he said, some of the things he said applied specifically to people that were not born again. Right? And yet we go back to that and say, he said this, and this, well, you know, we, we have to do this, we have to do that, and, uh, you know, we have to seek after righteousness. Well, that was true before you got born again. When you get born again, you're made the righteousness of God in Christ. You don't have to seek his righteousness. Because right? you already sought it. And he said, if you're thirsty, come to me and I will fill you. So we can't stand here and sing, God, I'm so thirsty. Because every time you do that, what you're saying is, you're not born again. He said, if any man come to me, right, I will fill him. Isn't that right? I will give him a drink and he'll never thirst again. And yet every Sunday people get up and sing, God, I'm so thirsty. So what you're saying is, you've not drank of, what, of the water he gave you. And then later on we found out that what he was talking about of hungering and thirsting had to do with being born again because he said, I will give you of this living water. We, we can see that in John 4. 
He's talking about this living water that's coming in. And he said this, he spoke of the spirit which had not yet been given. And he said, and, th and then he talked about this living water coming in and filling up unto eternal life. So we know he's talking about being filled with eternal life. And yet we stand and scream and cry and, you know, all, all this commotion. And in reality, you've already done that. And some things you do once. He said, if you seek, you'll be filled. I saw it. I've been filled. And very honestly, I've not been hungry or thirsty since. I'm not looking for revival. I am revived. Amen. Amen. I live revived. I don't have to be revived. So, and, I, and to be honest with you, I'm not hungry or thirsty. I have zeal. Right? There's a difference. See, if I say I'm hungry and thirsty, then, then it makes sense that I, I'm going to get before God and try to stay there until He fill me. Yeah. Right? But I've already done that. And people say, now we try to do that and we come down because people have this desire and they don't realize what you have is not hunger and thirst. What you have is a zeal. Well, see, if you're hungry and thirsty, then you have to wait till you're filled. But if you have zeal, you can stay here for the next 20 years, and you will never change. The way that you satisfy zeal is you go do something with what you've got. But the church didn't want to go do something. They want to gather up and beg God to give them something, and God can't give them something because He's already given them what they think they're calling for. You get that? You might have to sort all that out, okay? You might need to get CDs just so you can sort that out. So, Now, Let's look what he says, Hebrews 8. Now, Hebrews 8, as all, all of Hebrews is about the new and old covenant contrasted together. Look down in verse 10. <clears throat> Actually, go up to verse, uh, well, trying to make sure. Yeah, we just were in verse 6. So we'll go to verse 7, sorry there, on page 89. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. You hear that? Now, this is referring to a new covenant, and it's talking about a different kind of covenant, that the laws wouldn't be written on tablets of stone for you just to outwardly obey, but he would put the want to and the how to in you, right? So it's not you going back and trying to fulfill the Ten Commandments. If God has put his spirit in you, you automatically want to obey. You're going to love God, love your fellow man, and if you truly love God and love your fellow man, you won't break any of the Ten Commandments, and you won't even think about the Ten Commandments, right? Why? Because all the Ten Commandments have to do is how to love God and love your fellow man. If you love your fellow man, you're not going to covet his goods. You're not going to steal from him. You're not going to bear false witness against him, right? If you love God, you're not going to have any other gods before him. You're going to keep his day holy. And matter of fact, he talks about keeping his Sabbath. And we find out here in Hebrews that Jesus is our Sabbath, Amen. right? So it's not about which day you keep. Every day should be the same to you, right? You don't live holy on one day and live like the devil on the others. Amen. You got that? Mm -hmm. You live holy every day. You live right every day, amen, out of gratitude, toward God for what he has done. And, and it's not grievous. It's not hard. Why? Because it's already in there. Now, in Philippians 2.13, he tells us, it is God who is in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That desire in you, that's God. You think, well, is that just me wanting to lay hands on the sick, or you know, does God really want me to do it? As, now, you have to either talk about you being as a born again or as not a born again. As, as born again, you have God's spirit. So he's in you, working in you, both to will, to give you the will, and the how-to, right? Now, if you're unborn again, now we're talking about a whole different thing because you don't even care about the sick in that way uh, unless and except for how it benefits you. 
So if you lay hands on the sick and you're not even born again, you're just doing it so that you can satisfy this thing where it makes you feel like you're okay with God. And that's the whole purpose. And God said, look, the Old Testament was just to show you, and the law was just to show you that you, you can't keep it perfectly. You can't keep these rules perfectly. So you have to rely on the grace of Jesus. That doesn't mean that you throw it all out and go, well, live any way you want. Well, let me put it this way. You can live any way you want if you're born again. If you're born again, you want to live the right way. Amen. That's the difference. And if you don't want to live the right way, probably not born again. Right? Now, I'm not talking about you having events in your life. But there's a difference between an event and a lifestyle. Amen. Right? Big difference. And so you have to learn it. I tell people all the time, they, they say, you know, can I do this as a Christian? Can I, do? I tell them, you know, it's simple. I drink. I cuss. <laughs> I, do all the, I do all of that I want to do. The key is I don't want to. Amen? And, and to be honest with you, I'm not tempted by any of that stuff. It's amazing. And one of the reasons I'm not tempted is because I killed it a long time ago. I killed it when there wasn't a fight. Don't wait till you get in a fight to make decisions. Amen. Okay? It's not good to make decisions while you're under fire. Okay? Make the decisions out of them. When I was nine years old, I made a vow to God. I said, I will never drink. I'll never taste alcohol. I'll never do drugs. I'll never smoke a cigarette. All I said, I'll never do that. And, and honestly, apparently it was a pretty good vow because I've, I've never even been tempted to do those things. When I was in the nightclubs, I was dancing and all that kind of stuff. People would offer to buy me drinks. They'd put them on the table and say, here, I bought this for you. I said, what is it? They said, well, it's a bourbon and Coke. Nope, Coke only. I only want Coke. And I would give the drinks away to somebody else. Why? I had no desire in it. Why? Because I had seen what it did to families and I wanted nothing to do with it. And I made that vow to God and it was, it was built into me. I've never been even tempted in those areas. And so... Now, apparently I should have made a whole lot of other vows because all the other sins I did. It was just those three that I didn't. So, <clears throat> yeah, just, so just so you know, I wasn't just some holy person, okay? <clears throat> it wasn't that way at all, okay? <laughs> but, but I'm just saying, you, you have to kill those things. And I did that when I was nine. Well, there wasn't any real temptation or possibility of me of drinking and smoking and doing drugs at nine years old. And because I made that vow at nine, then it wasn't until, you know, I got into high school when people were doing all that stuff around me. By then, I'd had, you know, six, seven years to get that birthed and to stay there. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I got there, it wasn't even a question. It wasn't even a question. So, now, he goes on here and says, I will put my laws in their mind, verse 10, and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And he goes on, and in verse 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Did you hear that? Mm -hmm. So, now think about this. When you get born again and you go to God and you say, I want to make Jesus my Lord and I want to be born again and you're my master. I want to be cleansed of sin. I'll be washed of the sin. He says, okay, that's good. It's gone. I will remember it no more. And then you have to have some Christian come around and teach you that you're cursed and you've got to go back into your history and find your sin. Mm -hmm. Now, how can you find a sin God can't even remember? Amen. Right? Remember this. God will never remember your past. So anybody that brings it up ain't working for God. They're working for the only person that can remember your past, who is the devil. You get that? And even what he's showing you isn't even your past. It's a picture of your past because the real past is gone. You get that? So all this stuff about going in and finding this, and, and, and okay, if, you, if God doesn't remember your sins on you, do you think he's going to remember your grandparents' sins on you? Come on. Man, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You know? Now, there is an aspect 
that we need to deal with, and we'll talk about it today about generational curses, because we need to deal with it, because it's not enough to say this doesn't work, or that's not true, or this isn't true, because people are still in bondage. So it's not enough to have right doctrine, we have to be able to set people free. So we will explain why these things and what it is. But for the first aspect of good diagnosis is to be able to accurately diagnose something and not give it a false diagnosis where you chase the wrong symptoms. Right? And that's what most Christians do, is they chase the wrong symptoms. And they think it's this when it's not that. So, now let's move on. Got to move quickly here. You can go through and read all of this because it's all of And the only reason I put so much scripture is is because I want you to read it and go through it because this is all about the new covenant and how, how much better it is than the old covenant and why God replaced it. The old covenant was replaced. It became obsolete. It, it was not able to give righteousness or give life. So God had to replace it. But man, he needed it to show man, look, you need me. <coughs> that was the whole purpose. He said the, the purpose of the law was to show man or was to bring us to Christ to show us that we could not live the way God wanted us to. Now, I will tell you this. The, the law, the way it's written, is right. You understand that? Everywhere in the Bible it says the law is good. It is right. It is perfect. It is just. So the law is right. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem was what was wrong with you. Right? Because God said, this is the way I, I want you to live. And he gave details. The problem was we couldn't keep up with all of them. So the problem wasn't in the law. The problem was in us. Right? So God had to fix us. Now when he had to fix us, now there's no more curse because Jesus became a curse because we don't, it's not up to us to keep the law. Jesus kept the law for us and we get into God by being in Jesus. Okay? Jesus was the first Trojan horse. Right? We get in him. He goes back into the kingdom. Voila, there we are. Okay? Ain't that it? I mean, come on. You, you, don't, you don't march into the kingdom by yourself. Right? You, you get in through the name of Jesus. Isn't that right? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. You run in it and then the tower moves into God. Right? And then you're in God. That's the beauty of it. See, the key is we keep trying to be individuals. And the key is you have to die. Jesus said, except you die, you cannot be my disciple. Isn't that right? So we have to die. And if we die, then we can say what Paul said. There's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? So it's not about us being an individual. Listen, God didn't come to fix you. He came to kill you. <laughs> okay? Yeah, you, you can't put a Band-Aid on a rotting corpse. It doesn't work, right? You have to give life. Most people try to live resurrection life and they never die. They keep trying to put a Band-Aid on. They keep trying to get better and better and better. And that's not the key. It's not about you getting better. It's about you dying and let Christ live through you. That's the key, right? And if you haven't died, you can't live resurrection life. For there to be resurrection, there has to be death. But most people never die. They just come to church, and more and more, a church is just becoming a, a, a good self-help support group. Amen. You know, it's, it's not about being who you are in Christ. And you end up, you know, trying to be the employee of the month. You know, if you follow these principles, then God will bless you, and you can be employee of the month. And you may be employee of the month, and you may get a raise. And you'll spend it on doctors. Right? Either for medicine or surgery or some psychiatric help. Because right? you're trying to keep all the balls juggling at the same time and you can't. So the key is to die. And it's no longer you that live, but Christ who lives in you. Now, let's move on because he talks about all this all the way through Hebrews 10. And then he goes into Galatians 2 on page 93. Now I'm going to read this quickly here because I'm going to send you to break here in just a moment. Galatians chapter 2, it says, Then fourteen years 
after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. In other words, he went before the council in Jerusalem and said, hey, listen, I want, to, I want to tell you what I'm preaching, and y'all tell me what you think of it, and let me know if you think I missed it. Right? So he did have, uh, he was accountable, right? But he also withstood them at times and said, no, listen, you know, I'm right. I got this from Jesus himself and was able to, to withstand them. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. You see how he writes? Mm -hmm. He said, these people that seem to be something, which to me it didn't matter what they were, because I don't honor any man in particular, right? That's pretty bold, what he's saying here. God accepts no man's person, for they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. In other words, I went there, told them what I was doing, and they said, yeah, that sounds right to us, and they didn't add anything to us, so I guess I was right. He said, he wasn't putting them down, he's just saying, look, I get my, my answers from God. That's right. And at some point, you've got to say the same thing. You've got to make the decision. You can work with people, you can network with people, but at some point, you've got to say, you know what, this is what the Word of God says, and I will stand on it regardless of who walks away. Jesus had all of his disciples one time, almost all of them, get up and walk off after he told about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And since the, the law you know, forbid uh, cannibalism and the drinking of blood, most of his disciples got up and walked off and Jesus didn't say, hey, wait, 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 you're misunderstanding. Uh, this is a metaphor. You don't understand what I'm trying to say. He didn't do that at all. He turned around to his 12 and said, you want to go too? You want to leave? You know, as we say here in Texas, there's the door. You know? <laughs> So, he's, he was pretty blunt. Jesus was blunt, so was Paul. <clears throat> but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. In other words, the same God who made, apostle and apo made Peter an apostle to the, to the Jews made me an apostle to the Gentiles. Same spirit. And then he talks about it, and he says how these were... Now, I don't want to go into all this because it's, it's pretty long and drawn out. But he goes into... He, he, he explains what he got from Jesus, basically. And he said, I withstood them. I stood up to them. Now, you have to realize, he's writing to Galatians. To Galatian people, right? So he is relating what happened to them. This isn't really flattering to the apostles in Jerusalem. And especially to Peter, because he talked about how he was wrong, and I withstood him to his face, and all that... It's pretty blunt. You know, we would look at that today almost like gossip. You know, that, but we have a wrong idea of what gossip is. You know? Gossip is talking about something you can't change in another person. Right? So instead of gossip, you ought to be praying for them. Right? Amen. And most people use that. Well, I'm just saying this so you'll pray. No, you ain't. No, don't even lie. You're, you're gossiping and trying to hide it under religious terminology. Right? Start with prayer. Go with prayer first. Right? So, he goes on. Then, matter of fact, I'm going to have to go ahead and send you a break. Yep. We'll start back in Galatians 3 when y'all come back, but you need, you, you'll see the difference here, okay? We're going to stretch you today. We're going to see how far you can go, okay? Y'all know anything about that new covenant? You know, if you didn't, that'd be a lot to take in. And you'd be kind of like, 
I don't even know what he's talking about. You know, healing's been presented uh, in such a way that if you don't understand New Covenant, that if you never make the divide between the, you know, the, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and realizing that you're in the New Testament or the New Covenant Christian, then you would not understand that God relates to us differently in the New Covenant than he did to the people in the Old Covenant. And so it is true that pretty much I would say in most churches that that you don't get all Old Covenant and you don't get all New Covenant. Most of them have a mixture. Now, I'll never forget I said that same thing, I guess, about a year and a half ago. And, uh, and I went home on a Sunday afternoon and was going through some Christian TV. <laughs> and there was a guy preaching. And uh, it doesn't matter who it is, I, and I don't, I don't even know who he was. And I said, well, that's a, that's a fellow right there that you cannot, uh, you, you can't say he's, he's one of those guys mixed in. He was pure old covenant all the way through. I'm telling you, he was, he was, it, it was 100%. God's angry, and you better get it straight, and, or he, he may kill you before the sun goes down. I said, but at least he didn't mix it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he stuck to his guns, and that's the way it was. Well, it's, well, that mindset is, is the approach, how people approach, and that's why, uh, you know, a couple, I don't know how long it's been now, a couple of years, where we, we spent, uh, what, three or four months? Because what he kept on telling me, he said, I want this church skilled in righteousness. Well, you can't be skilled in righteousness unless you understand the new covenant. And, uh, and then... And in doing that, you see you the, the way that you even approach things. Say for healing, for instance. Sometimes when we have need of healing, then we, the way the church presents it is they'll go back to the Gospels and they'll say, here's what Jesus did, or here's what some of the disciples did, but mostly what Jesus did. And then we try to show that you know, God has the ability and the power to do anything, right? And then we show some of the miraculous things that he did. And then the next thing we do is we just present... They present that request to God because it's almost like a judicial court and bring it before God for a yes or for a no. And we're, we here, as people who care about the person, we're asking, please do this. We're putting this person up, you know, uh, before you. And it's almost like a judicial thing. We're waiting on a verdict. And then we see how the situation turned out, the, see what their experience was. And then we say, well, I guess it was a yes or I guess it was a no. And then if it was a no... Uh, sometimes it was terminal, and they left, and we said, well, they're, you know, God's still good. He's still love. He just has a higher purpose for taking them. And that's just kind of how church was, right? I mean, I mean, no, that's just a real rough, but isn't that the way it was? But I, I, I kind of like to know how things work sometimes. You know, backward, backward engineering is taking a product. It's usually, you know, from a competitor standpoint and uh, they want to produce a product but uh, they can't produce that particular product because you know they have uh, patents on it such as this so they'll take the product and they'll take it to pieces all the way down to the, the foundation of it and they'll see how it worked to see if they can change enough things that's not in that you know that patent that they can produce a, a comparative product that does the same thing but they have to make enough changes that you know they can say well this is this does this, and it just does it different enough that they can get it through. Well, sometimes if you take things apart, you see, 
you'll see what it is. So a, a lot of times, you know, even come to healing, the, the, the mindset is all covenant in the sense of, well, I mean, even among word people, they'll say, well, you know, we, we, okay, we know it's the will of God to heal, and we know this, and he said this, but sometimes our even approach to God is still old covenant. Jesus said to a certain woman who didn't have a covenant with him, he says, it's not for me to give this to you, and, and, and it was not at that time, even though she did get healed because of her approach. He says, healing is the children's bread. Remember that? He didn't say, I can give some bread to heal him. He said, healing belongs to people of this covenant. It is their bread. Healing is their bread. E.W. Kenyon would have said it this way. He said, I don't know why you're praying about anything when there's already a promise in the Bible. In other words, if, if, if the word of God promises it to us, he said, there's nothing to pray about. Hmm? And we think, well, I don't know about that. I mean, that, that just seems kind of awkward. Well, <clears throat> you know, say you have your family here, and so you're going to go to the, you're going to go to the grocery store and buy your, your groceries for the week. Well, before you purchase them, they belong to whoever, you know, the, the vendor is or whoever the grocery store is, right? So that's not the place to start munching, right? <laughs> it's after you get them and take them home. Well, if if you have kids or raise kids such as this. Uh, most time, uh, uh, probably never, kids never ask their parents, can I eat this, or can I open it, or, or I mean, does y'all's kids ask y'all before they open, or grandchildren, is it okay if I open this refrigerator to look? Can I, can I look in the pantry? You know, when they're teenagers, they hang off the door, and I think, are you, are you waiting for something else to grow in there, or, I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> You know, because when you're a change, you're always hungry. And, uh, well, at, at that point, is that to be prayed about or to be sought after? No, you just go in and if you see what you're look looking for, you just you, you take it out and you partake, right? Well, that's what you should do concerning healing also. It is the children's bread. It does belong to you. It has been paid for. It's not to be prayed about. It's about to be received. So I so, said, well, I'm believing for it. Well, how long do you believe for it? See, these questions need to be asked. How long do you believe for it? Well, you, you, you should believe until you get an answer. And where, where would your answer come from? Where, where should it come first? The Word, right? The answer is not in the body. The answer is in the what? In the Word. See, the Scripture says, who, whose report will you believe? Not whose body will you believe. Psalms 107 said, I, I sent the word and it the word healed you. That's not to be prayed about. That's, about. that's to be received. It is yours. So then you should, you know, when, when Brother Hagin was, was, had th three situations, you know, as a teenager and had been bedfast for 16 months and everyone said he had to die, all the specialists, he said, either one of these three things will kill you. And he was leaving fast. Didn't have any revelation. Didn't have anyone to help him. And every preacher that would come to his uh, his home with his grandma's home, so, you know, he said they just look at him with that long face and said, "It'll all be over soon, my boy." That's a, that's a, that's real encouraging if you're 16. It'll all be over soon. <laughs> but he 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 received the revelation even from the book of Mark, and he said, "So what you're saying in Mark 11:20." 
for that what things soever I, I desire when I pray, believe I receive it, and I'll have it. See, he, he got that much, just that much light under the door. In other words, when I pray, believe that I received it. The word received is the word take. I took it when I, believe when? When you prayed, not when you felt it. See, when I pray, believe that I received it, believe that I took it, and I shall have what I believe I received. So he, so he, he made... He made the adjustment, but he's still sitting there in the bed, paralyzed from the waist down, and has not walked in 16 months. Heart deformed, heart heart disease, and what I forget what the other thing was, but has not walked or moved around in 16 months. And this, he said, then I heard this. All of a sudden, I heard these words. He said, he said it was 10:30 in the morning when I made that when I when I got that revelation and I saw it, and he heard. Then he heard this. After he believed, received, took, felt nothing, laying in the bed, nothing changed. It, it looked like nothing was working. He had the revelation. He took it. He believed it. He received it. Nothing changed. And then he heard this word. He said, normally people at 1030 are up and moving. Well, normally they are. So he said... He said, you, you mean you want me to get up and move and change my life like I actually have this? He said, you took it, didn't you? Yeah. So being paralyzed, he had some strength from the waist up. He was paralyzed completely from the waist down. So he said, it, you know, it took him, um, you know, sometimes it would, you know, when he's reading his Bible sometimes because of the paralysis, he said it would take me 30 minutes to, to turn one page. Can you imagine trying to get up? So he struggled with that for hours to get up, and when he, when he did, he said he got up. They had something he could pull up, and they took his legs with his, with his hand, and until and he could get them off the bed, he said they felt like two chunks of wood. <clears throat> they had something installed in the room. I don't know how they were using it, but he pulled up on something with his hands. To, he said, and then when I stood up, he said it felt like a million needles came from the top of my head down through my body, all the way down. He said, but to the waist. He says it 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 it, it actually was comforting, and uncomfortable. In other words, life was coming back into his legs, and he stood there. So there was a period of time, even after he stood, you know, to to regain the natural strength, and then to be able to walk again because he hadn't walked in sixteen months. So it was not nothing to be prayed about. It was something to be obeyed. You say, well, I'm believing for this in my body. Well, well, did you, well, did you get it? You see what I'm saying? When, when will you be through doing that? Am I, is this unclear? When, when, when will you come to your, the end of that? And then go forward in that? and make that declaration and begin to take steps towards what you're saying. Whether if it's something medically, whether it's a surgery or a non-surgery, whether I'm having a surgery or not having a surgery. Well, if I, you know, if I do this, I'm this. If I have this surgery, do this. Well, then, you know, just at that point, there's nothing wrong with that. 
than just believe God for the speedy recovery. A speedy recovery. You know, Charles Capture to say it this way. He said, well, you know, people who's never believed God for a headache wants to believe him for a major thing. He said, in other words, he said, it's kind of like wanting to build an addition where you never start, where you've never, <laughs> you don't even have a structure. He said, you, you can't start on the third story when you've never even had the footings and had a foundation. So, so, so start here. Well, so you, you know, there'd be nothing wrong with having surgery. Nothing wrong with that at all. It'd be easy to, to, to it'd be easy to believe that, you know, while the surgery is going on, that we're believing for the wisdom of God to work into through a doctor to to do this and to do that, and His hands and His mind and His brain and thoughts and angelic hosts in the room and such as this, and my body is is uh, supernaturally healing faster than with faith than it would be without faith, huh? So your body's neutral. See, it, it, you, you, your your body doesn't have choices like this. So that that's kind of the way we talk about something: the, the natural mind and the and the spirit mind, or the, the natural or the carnal mind. See, it's hooked to everything about the sense realm. Well, if I did this, this. Well, if I did this, this. Well, if I did this. Well, if I you know. But if I do this, this. All that's mental. But the, but the spirit mind says God's word says this, and it comes to a, a place. So if 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 you if if you buy a loaf of bread, I'm using the analogy of, analogy of Jesus said healing is is the children's bread. Now it could be it is. So if you buy a loaf of bread, you could make toast when you want to. You could make a sandwich you want to. You could just eat a piece out of it if you want to. Why? Because it is your bread. Now. When you get the bread and, and you go and you pay for it and you put it in the car, do you have a right to eat it right then? Absolutely, when you want to. Are you still believing for it? No. Because you made the purchase. It's now yours. Jesus already made the purchase. It's already yours. Start eating. Well, I'm still believing. Believe. Well, then you'll never come to the end of this thing. It's so simple that you almost have to pay someone to help you mess it up. And we pay people for years to help us mess it up. It's just that simple. And you just take whatever steps that you can take towards that. Amen. Can you see why I like this guy? I mean, even on the, because, you know, uh, when I first started hearing him and I was telling Michelle about it, I said, this is exactly, absolutely new man stuff, generation curses, all that stuff over there is all old covenant stuff. All the stuff about, you know, I'm just so hungry and thirsty, I'm just, you know, I'm just about to fall out on the ground and, and then they go over into the Old Testament and they'll put in the, oh God, don't take your spirit from me. Don't take your spirit from me. That's, that, that, that's old covenant. He said, I'm, on, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. He's not taking his spirit from you. And that, that was kind of the struggle when we began a number of years ago teaching on the new covenant was music. And I started looking at our music and thinking, what are we going to do for music? <laughs> and that was really difficult. And, and the way that, that I, the only, way I, only thing I knew to do was um, I thought, well, let's see. Who teaches this stuff? And then I had a struggle there. 
so I tried to go places that I knew taught it, especially if they had churches and if they had music online, because I thought, you can't be teaching New Covenant stuff and, and singing, you know, um, just a little talk with Jesus, hope it all works out all right, right? So you, so I would go places like this, and I saw, well, Andrew, why would teach stuff like this? But he doesn't have a church. So I thought, well, hmm. Who would have Andrew Wong again? So I went down there and I go through his itinerary all over the world. And I said, who has him in? Because you wouldn't have him in and thinking he's going to teach a bunch of law stuff. So I had to go find churches that would have him in somewhere in the world and then go check them out and see if I could find some of their music. And then, and then I thought, well, I know Joseph Prince. There's no way he's singing How Fly Away. <laughs> but then the problem is, how do you get music from halfway across the world? And that wasn't fun either. So it was a matter of, you know, trying to bring things because, you know, there's a lot of good music, but a lot of it's just not scriptural, to be honest with you. It, may, it, it, it ministers to the emotional realm or people like playing it because it's fun instrumental to play and it's just a bunch of who shot John. So it'd be better to sing and worship in spirit and in truth. See, not, not untruth. You want spirit and truth. And so it really would be better if we just sometimes come up and get songs of the Spirit ourselves. Instead of trying to find something, I bet we could find some of it right here. And it'll come up right here. We can write it down, put some notes to it, and there we go. Somebody had to write it. Right? Yeah. Well, amen. Y'all ready? All right, hit the next video. No, just kidding. <laughs>